Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, the Hall of Famer. I'm Kevin Ingram. It's always great to have you with us. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to, including some really fun games that have happened in the last few days. Also going to have our legal section of this show coming up in just a bit. And Janai, Sponsored by Morgan and Morgan. Yeah, yeah maybe so. Attorneys and, at law. Yeah, we'll talk about another Morgan, too, later on. Morgan Freeman and uh, they're running with Janai Broom during the game at Ole Miss the other <laughs> night. So we've got a lot of fun stuff to get to. Chris, we're going to start on this Super Bowl weekend with some trivia of course the Chiefs and Niners play on Sunday out in Las Vegas only two players have played in both a Super Bowl and a Final Four can you name them wow uh boy that's good Super Bowl and a Final Four oh man and they've happened within say the last 30 years I'm drawing a blank it it almost has to be a tight end who who got drafted on promise by a by an NFL team. Uh, okay, I'll tell you, one, one, one is a defensive lineman and the other was a quarterback. Oh, boy. I, I'm going to just take a stab and, and say Charlie Ward. <laughs> That's my go-to. <laughs> Charlie Ward's not a bad guess. I mean, he played on a, a Elite Eight team at Florida State uh, in 1993 and, of course, long time in the NBA and, and was a terrific college football player. Uh, the answer is Julius Peppers, who played for North Carolina and North for the Carolina. Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl, and Donovan yep. McNabb, who was part of the Syracuse's 1996 Final Four team and uh, played quarterback, of course, for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in the in Super Bowl. In all the world, I would never have remembered Donovan McNabb. I would have remembered Julius Peppers eventually. He was a murderous defensive end. That's a good one. You know, there's some more connections with basketball in this particular Super Bowl. Christian McCaffrey, his, his uncle, is Billy McCaffrey, who was a, yep, Billy, a, yep. a Vanderbilt Hall of Famer, just inducted last year and was on Duke's uh, championship teams there in the early 90s. Uh, you have some more connections. I, I think if you look at a lot of these guys, I think, I think Travis Kelsey and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes probably too. Uh, you look at these dudes, they, they could probably be ballers on the basketball floor. So I, I'm sure a lot of them played multiple sports. Um, there are many, many college basketball coaches who recruit multi-sport athletes. I know Will Wade is one. He likes to find ex-quarterbacks. And the reason is, at least at the mid-major level where he's coaching now, uh, he thinks that those kind of guys are great ball hawks in his, you know, full-court frenzy pressure. So, you know, it's it's – a lot of people play both sports. It's just not at the highest level that you mentioned. Well, let's talk about high-level college basketball. Uh, to me, one of the best games of the week was uh, one I watched last night was Auburn and Alabama round two. Uh, they just played a couple weeks ago in Tuscaloosa. They played in Auburn this time. The uh, 12th-ranked Tigers and the number 16 Crimson Tide. Auburn won 99-81 to gain the split of the season series. And uh, Auburn also moves into a first-place tie with Alabama and South Carolina at 8-2. and two. Tennessee's only a half game behind at 7-2, and two, and Kentucky's 6-4. and four, And uh, they had a couple stumbles before they bounced back uh, here in Nashville on Tuesday. But that SEC race is really interesting, and you have some really good teams. South Carolina, of course, is the surprise of the group. Um, I've seen Auburn twice. I've seen Alabama once, seen Kentucky once. Uh, man, th- those teams, I think, have a chance to really do some damage in the tournament this year. Oh, I think they do. Uh, uh, looking forward, uh, I mean, looking ahead, uh, Tennessee hosts Kentucky and Auburn. And, and, of course, has already beaten Kentucky, hung 100 on 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 them in Rupp, which I don't think it ever happened uh, except maybe once or twice. Uh, it's funny, the 
the Tennessee fans that, that kind of grouse about Rick Barnes's uh, NCAA record, they don't realize all the stuff he's done. Uh, Tennessee has only won at Rupp eight times, and he's responsible for four of them uh, in the last seven years. So, and, and I think he's 11 and nine versus Kentucky uh, since he's been at, at Tennessee. So uh, old slick Rick, he's done a lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, it, it's starting to pile up, but that, that game at, at UK uh, Tennessee uh, has finally gotten some guys that, that historically shoot better than they have been shooting. They're starting to shoot more like, like themselves and they've got some weaponry. Uh, they really do way beyond Dalton Connect, who only scored 18 against Kentucky. He was back to his old self last night, though. He had this is a crazy stat line. He had uh, 27, seven boards, six assists, and three blocks. That hadn't been done since Ben Simmons in 2015. Wow. Uh, so, and the last Power Six player to do it was Grievous Vasquez from Maryland, who did it in 2009, albeit in an OT game. So, uh, this hadn't been done in a regular season game in 19 years. So connect is just going crazy. I, I know a lot of people think Antonio Reeves might be the player of the year, but if you look at league games, only connect is averaging almost 29 points, mm-hmm. which is insane because, you know, everybody, I mean, the SEC is a defensive league and people are, are loaded up to stop him and they just can't do it because he, he's just got so many different scoring weapons and, Tennessee uses so much off-ball screening action. Uh, it's really not commonly done much these days, but he learned it from Bob McKillop, the excellent coach at Davidson, who is an old friend. And they do more off-ball screening action than anybody in the country. And if, if you watch, and I'm I'm really a fan. This, this is I know I'm going to sound like a dork, but I'm really a fan of off-ball screening action. I, I just. I pushed the rerun button over and over and over again to see. And, and like they had two plays, uh, Tennessee at Kentucky out of bounds plays where uh, a guard uh, did a back screen for uh connect and he just danced to the rim and dunked like, you know, on a pose. So uh, yeah, I'd love this time of year. It's, it's getting crazy uh, both on and off the court. Yeah, I, I like watching those things too, and you know, you see so much of just the the high ball screen and, and the guard works off of and screen roll right. and those that, things. That's a commonly yeah, you, you see that a lot. But, but yeah, but you know the off ball screens, and I always like watching you know, reversals and skips and those things. You know where you get a good look for somebody on the weak side. Uh, those things are really interesting to watch. I love back screens and, and uh-huh. you know for bobs and and uh, you know again, not a lot of people do it. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, you know, that really don't know any better, uh, i.e. some writers, some fans uh, think that Tennessee doesn't run much, but they need to look at the tape and watch the screens off ball. You know, it's it's yeah. not, you know, again, not commonly done, but... Uh, and a lot of it is you need veteran players or at least players who played quite a bit and have played quite a bit together for those things to work really For sure. Well. They, they've got three fifth-year seniors and two juniors in their starting lineup, so... I think they're the 26th oldest team in the country, according to Ken Palm. Oh, man, I, I, I got to tell you about uh, uh, in person, I saw a mid-major team that people should look out for come bracket time. Okay. It's Sanford. They're 20-3, and 9-1. and one. 
they went into Chattanooga and, and just waxed the mocks who have been playing well. They're an older team too. They've got some guys, some tough dudes. They've got a point guard. I swear they found him in the merchant Marines or in the shipyard somewhere. <laughs> they just come at you in waves. Um, they won 17 in a row. Their, their best player had been hurt. Now he's back. And their coach, he came from directly from high school to D1. And, and I just, I don't know. I'm always dubious of that. But he came from a high school in Birmingham, Alabama, where he had won a bunch of state titles. And they just get after you defensively. Uh, he plays 10, 12 guys. Uh, it looks like hockey lines coming in. So, yeah, Sanford, uh, remember them. They're 74th in the net. I doubt they'll get in if they don't win their tournament. But if they do win the tournament, and right now they're clearly the best team in the Southern Conference, uh, yeah, put them in your bracket. I, I, I really think they're tough. Yeah, Buckyball's working really well for Sanford. And, and I will say I've done – a game or two with him as coach over the years. And one thing you better have on your scorecard is lots of spaces for players because they have about 20 guys on their yeah. roster. And, and you know, yeah. like you say, they play a little bit of everybody. And it, it's crazy uh, the, the substitutions and things you see, but man, it's really working for them. They're, they're having a fantastic year with 20 wins and you're exactly right on how it goes in, in leagues like the Southern conference, often a one bid league. And you see that desperation when you really get into those conference tournaments, but yeah, they're having a, a fantastic year and a one by 12 against Chattanooga in the game. You saw the other day I, i've actually been to four games this week i've seen four games in person wow two of them i did i did the uh, vanderbilt missouri game on saturday commodores broke through with a, a conference win um i did the game vanderbilt hosted number 17 kentucky on tuesday and uh, the wildcats came into town probably in a bad mood after losing back-to-back -back home a games bad. Yeah, yeah they had uh, had 103 hung on them by tennessee on saturday and they got beaten overtime by florida before that in their midweek game they came to Nashville and aired it all out. They were on fire from three in the first half, and then there was a lot of drives and dunks and runouts in the second half. They hit 10 of their first 12 three-point attempts. I don't know that I've seen a team that hot in a long time. I joked at halftime that the only person in the building who was more accurate than Kentucky wasn't from three was Red Panda, uh, the world-famous uh, uh, halftime act, you know, with the unicycle and the bulls. Oh, yeah. I mean, she doesn't seem to ever miss. But you had Antonio Reed scoring 24 points. He hit six of nine from three. Rob Dillingham coming off the bench with 20. He hit four of five from the three-point land and did a whole lot of that in the first half. They were both excellent. But they bounced back through six and four in the SEC after losses at home to Tennessee and Florida and really not playing at full strength. D.J. Wagner was out, and also uh, Trey Mitchell didn't play in that game either. He had some back issues, but the ones they put out there are really good. And just having those seven-footers that can do a little bit of everything and, and can run the floor makes a big difference difference for them too. Avisic was back and he had a nice game. He got into some foul trouble. It, probably one of those things as he plays more, he'll avoid some of those, but they look like the real deal. I know they've fallen down to 17th in the rankings for what that's worth. At full yeah. strength, that team's going to be a tough out if they can play any kind of defense and, and hold teams down because they're yeah. definitely going to put some points on the board. They they need to guard people uh, because I'll tell you what, they've got Boog Shambi said this on our show last week and I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I'm a student of it. Uh, I can tell you exactly what Villanova shot in winning its two national championships, 50% from three. Uh, uh, UConn last year shot well from three and, and won all six of their games in route to the title by double figures. 
you've got to have flamethrowers and Kentucky has got some dudes that can throw it in the hoop, man. Rob Dillingham scored 35 against Tennessee. He could not miss. I think Reed Shepard is the best jump shooter in the country. I think he's shooting 54% from three. And then Antonio Reeves. I mean, he's just a slick dude, man. He can get his points whatever way you want. So yeah, he's, he's scored over 2000 points in his career between oh, yeah. starting out yeah. at Illinois state and then his time in Kentucky. They've got plenty of firepower. They've just got to get it together defensively. I mean, they got punked uh, on out of bounds plays by Tennessee. They just got punked and you just can't do that. You got to be tough. You got to fight through screens and not lose your man. Because if you lose sight of Dalton connect for one second, you're toast because He's going to go to the rack for a dunk, or he's going to go to the corner for a three, uh, which he did against Kentucky uh, three times. So, uh, yeah, but Kentucky's a team that certainly, in my estimation, has has enough firepower uh, to go a long way. They, they've just got it together to get it together on the other end of the floor. North Carolina's had an interesting week, uh, lost to Georgia Tech. They beat Duke at home in what's always a great rivalry game last Saturday. Then they follow that up by losing to Clemson 80-76. to uh, Tigers blew a 16-point lead, but then held on for only their second win at North Carolina ever. Uh, they lost the first 59 games they played in Chapel Hill before finally breaking through in 2020, and now they've won, won like two of the last three uh, they played at North Carolina. Up and down from North Carolina, they're an excellent team. There's no question. And you look at it and say, you know what, this is sort of life playing conference games and also playing a big rivalry game and having to crank it back up again in a couple of days after you win one of those and be right back at the level that you were on Saturday. It has been a rough week for the Heels, but I'll tell you what, at 18 and 5, 10 and 2, they've played really well. I think they've exceeded expectations and I've watched them quite a bit and I think they made two really astute portal acquisitions. They got Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame and Harrison Ingram from Stanford. And both are really tough, really veteran, and can make shots. And I think last year um, they got the kid Nance from Northwestern, and they thought he he would be a great fit for Brady Manick, uh, who was a big key to their, their final or their title game run. But um, he just – didn't quite fit in, but Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan are guys that, that have been there. And, and RJ Davis is playing great too. Uh, you know, he may, he may win the Koozie award for best point guard in the country. I don't know, but uh, he's shooting the ball well. And uh, Carolina's tough, but you're right. I think there, there had to be a little bit of a come down, but you know, props to Brad Brownell. He's kept his job at Clemson. That is uh, traditionally if not the toughest job in the ACC, certainly right there uh, near the toughest jobs. And, you know, uh, he's been able to hang in there and, and, and be competitive. Another great game I saw on Monday was uh, in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, Kansas State beat their rival, number four, Kansas, 75-70 in overtime. Tyler Perry scored 26 points at eight of them in OT. But that's a boost to the Wildcats' hopes of returning to the NCAA tournament. They're 15-8 and eight and 5-5 five and five in the league. They had lost four in a row, including against Oklahoma State on Saturday, but then they bounce back and win the big rivalry game. You don't see the Jayhawks sitting at 6-4 and four in Big 12 uh, play very often. The octagon oh. of doom was rocking. I've actually been there to Bramlage Coliseum in Manhattan, and that's a good place to see a basketball game. And uh, I, you know, It I'm was just entertaining there. to watch. 
I, in all my travels, I've not been there. But remember the time Kansas won like 20 in a row at K-State. Uh-huh. And, you know, once Frank Martin got over there, uh, hug before that, right? But, yeah, he had uh, a short cameo no, by stuff, Bob Huggins. That stuff got put down. And uh, they're nasty. Uh, kept waiting for them to put it all together. I, I know Tyler Perry was one of the key, or at least that's what the pundits thought, key acquisitions from the portal. He came over from North Texas, and he was a huge factor in that win over Kansas. All right, let's move on to our uh, legal section, and I'll just ask for some <laughs> some legal briefs from you, uh, just, just to comment on each of these. Uh, the SEC Big Ten Advisory Group is forming to address issues in college athletics, and as we all know, there are a number of them. But what do you feel like this could mean long-term for those two conferences? Well, here's what the press release said. These challenges, including but not limited to recent court decisions, pending litigation, a patchwork of state laws, and complex governance proposals, compel the two conferences to take a leadership role in developing solutions for sustainable future of college sports. The cynic might say, yeah, those two are printing money because they were the pioneers of having their own networks and everything. And, and you know, they, they, they're super conferences with like 20 members. Uh, but I really hope they're sincere in trying to figure this out because clearly the NCAA did not think it through when they unleashed NIL. I do believe it's fair. Uh, I, I do believe that, that players should be compensated. Uh, huge example, uh, back in the day when, when EA Sports did that video game, uh, I was actually, uh, you know, contracted to help with that. And they, they used the complete images and likenesses of players who saw nary a cent for it. And that's really the, the video game is what got the, was the catalyst for everything. So I really do hope the SEC and the Big Ten can, can I, I, I hope it's, I mean, I really think it's good intentioned and, and I hope it, it, it brings results. I don't want to see uh, college basketball become the NBA. And, and, you know, when you got somebody like Rick Patino calling for a salary cap, that's NBA-like, you know? So uh, I don't want to see it get that way. I, I mean, I, I think part of the reason that we all love it so much is that NCAA commercial that says something to the effect that 95% of our athletes will go pro in something other than their sport. Yeah. And, and uh, you like that. Uh, I mean, you, you like, you know, the, the concept of amateurism. Uh, again, though, Having said that, I do believe that uh, there was a lot of money left on the table. Just to give you an example, Caitlin Clark, uh, the best women's player I've seen in in a long time, and makes me want to turn on their games just to watch her. Uh, she could go to the WNBA next year, but why? Uh, she's got a year of eligibility left. Uh, I think the average M WNBA salary is like 70K. She's making millions. She's, she's got a State Farm commercial, uh, a national State Farm commercial, and tons of other sponsors. Why would she go pro? If I were her, I'd stay, rack up every record. I mean, she's she's got a chance to become – she will become the all-time leading scorer. She could put that away forever if she came back one more year and make a ton more money. Yeah. So uh, – 
I mean, you know, more power too. I don't blame the athletes for, for being able to take advantage of it. What I do blame though, is, is the NCAA did not think it through uh, when, when they unleashed it and everything went. And now people are suing uh, to maintain what uh, some of the stuff that like, for example, uh, uh, alumni, uh, you know, n- not necessarily wealthy, uh, super wealthy alumni banding together and, and, and pooling their money. And now, you know, the NCAA wants to reel back, that back in and Tennessee the states of Tennessee and Virginia have sued and there's an injunction in place for now. The NCAA can keep that restriction, but it's just really a mess. I just, I just don't want to see the game soiled. I, I want to see players compensated, but I don't want to see the game soiled. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent on what you're saying. And yeah, I'm fine with with players getting compensated for what they're doing, but it just felt like they threw the doors open to NIL a couple of years ago, and, and it wasn't yeah. very as well thought out as it needed to be in terms of rules or how it was all going to work. And then it just turns into the wild west. It feels like, and you, you couple that with the transfer portal and, and just lots of player movement. And you know, talk about a, a thousand players going into the portal every year. It does seem like a big mess that, that needs some cleaning up and needs some, some guidelines or guardrails or whatever you want to call them to, to make it all to where it feels like it's, it's working better and, and working more smoothly. And yeah, you mentioned a couple of things that uh, Rick Pitino said a salary cap was needed, tweeted that major conferences should create a cap of up to $2 million. That was after the national labor relations board ruling that Dartmouth players are employees of the school and could allow athletes to form unions. You mentioned the situation with Tennessee and Virginia. They were denied a temporary restraining order request from those States. And uh, the judgment uh, keeps the NIL restrictions in place. Uh, they challenged the NIL rules after it was reported that Tennessee was under investigation by the NCAA for potential violations. So uh, we'll, we'll see where all this goes, but it, it all does feel like a big mess right now and hopefully uh, figure out some clarity and some ways to make it work better. In the Big 12, Baylor Athletics Director Mac Rhodes was fined $25,000 from that conference by calling for calling officiating an embarrassment for this league after Baylor's home win over Iowa State on Saturday. Coach Scott Drew, who's not really known as being you know one of the more volatile coaches he was ejected for the first time in his career for being out of the coach's box of all things which i thought was interesting so yeah you had that all deal uh, going down with with baylor the other day yeah he'd gone 707 games without getting the toss and you know curtis shaw who i know he's from chattanooga he's the big 12 coordinator of officials he has he knows a thing or two about getting tossed by the way um if you recall he was the referee that at Auburn, uh, waved the uh, one-fingered salute to some fans. <laughs> <laughs> and he got – I think he got blackballed from the league. And, and you know, he's a good official. And, and, of course, he's now the coordinator of officials for the Big 12. He had written a sternly worded memo to, to coaches, stop wandering out of the coach's box. It's not like you don't have a half a mile to pace around in. Stay off the court. So, Scott – you know, wandered out there and, and, and he got the toss and, and then you're not supposed to be critical of officials. Um, I mean, not publicly anyway. And then Baylor's AD Mac Rhodes just kind of, I don't know. He, he was like Chris Collins at Northwestern last year. He'd, he'd had all he could stand and he couldn't stand no mo. And uh, now he's going to have to reach in and pay a little $25,000 fine. 
I'd say somebody will cover that for him. Shaw's memo said something in part, bench decorum has become a pressing issue and must be <laughs> addressed. <laughs> This all made me think, and that, and again, that was in the Baylor-Iowa State game back on Saturday, but it all made me think of one of the more uh, interesting technicals for a coach's box violation that I can ever remember, and that was in the 1992 regionals in Philadelphia. Kentucky was playing UMass, and John Calipari was coaching UMass at the time, and that was the game before the game when, when of course, Kentucky played Duke mm-hmm. in that regional final. But it was a close game. It was a two-point game down the stretch, and Calipari got called for a technical for being out of the coach's box, and that was a key situation. Uh, you know, talking about a close game and affecting the outcome and those things. I mean, that that was really a key spot in the game to get that technical. So years later, I'm in seeing a luncheon here in Nashville. It's like a tip-off luncheon with the sports council and John Calipari as part of a group that also has uh, Bruce Pearl and it had Kermit Davis and Darren Horn and he had some rivalries going back and forth between all those guys at that time and Calipari was the coach at Memphis. So I decided to ask him about that because they were talking that season about coaches boxes and and I don't know if they were talking about extending it or cleaning it up or whatever and I was like oh I guess the statute of limitations is probably ruled out where I can ask uh, Calipari about this and so I said you know (laughs) the the most uh, famous coaches box violation and technical I can remember was the one uh, when you were coaching UMass in Philadelphia against Kentucky back in 92 so he tells the story about how he got the technical and Lenny Wirtz was the official who teed him up in that spot and he said later on that year they were doing a tour of Europe and Lenny Wirtz was one of the officials that was along for the tour to officiate the games. So they played one of the games, and I don't know, they were in France or wherever they were. So they all load up on the bus to take off, and the, and the refs have been riding on the buses, I guess, with the teams, you know, go from place to place wherever they were playing. And Lenny Wirtz was one of the refs, and he was running late. And uh, I think the driver asked, like, should we wait for him? Like, Cal Perry's like, nope, let's go. And so they, they, they took off and left him at the gym. <laughs> thought that was a great story. That's funny. Yeah, the old coach's box. You see him wander out of there quite a bit, and uh, sometimes they get teed up and sometimes they don't. But Scott Drew got tossed for the first time in his career for a coach's box violation. Wow. Yeah, right. He's a low-key dude, too. Yeah, he is. He is. That, that's for sure. Uh, I went to the Belmont-Murray State game in Nashville on Wednesday night, and, and I saw a student hit a half-court shot for tuition. The young man's name was Will Sykes, a student at Belmont, and he fired in a half-court shot, and he shot a rainbow. I mean, it was a roof scraper. It was with one of those old, like, look like a red, white, and blue ABA basketball. But, I mean, <laughs> it went way up in the air. It came down, splash. It was good. Wow. And the place went nuts. Uh, they've done that contest for years, and seldom does anybody ever hit it. But Will Sykes knocked it in. They gave him the big oversized check, you know, and they had the had his name on it and all that stuff. So uh, congrats awesome. to Will, and I know that's been making the rounds this morning. You know, I always wanted to win something where I could get an oversized check. Is that, has that ever happened to you? No, no, never never did uh, have an oversized check. I, I The closest I ever came uh, – there was some kind of uh, spin the wheel game at, at, at my wife's bank, and it it got down to the nitty gritty. There was just two of us. There was five G's in the hopper, and we wimped out and made a deal that no matter who won, we'd split it. But sure enough, they rolled that wheel, and my number came up. Oh man! So I could have won five G's man. if I would have, but but no large check though. Uh, cash only, please. <laughs> and yes, I did report it as income. <laughs> oh, man. That's always the bad part of those things. I won the karaoke contest at the uh, radio station Christmas party a few years back. Dude, dude. 
You, you never told me these things. Oh, yeah, that, that was impressive. big, too. But <laughs> instead of just handing you 100 bucks and saying, hey, uh, enjoy the holidays, they, they put it on your paycheck and take taxes out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with a story everybody's talking about, and that's Janai Broom's run-in with Morgan Freeman. Janai Broom, star forward for Auburn. They were playing at Ole Miss, where Morgan Freeman is uh, seen at the pavilion watching games from the front row. But Broom yeah. went over there, I think, chasing a loose ball, and Freeman grabbed onto his jersey, and Broom thought he was just another fan and sort of brushed his hand away before he realized who it was and uh, said he was a big fan of Morgan Freeman, apologized a couple different times. Freeman said, hey, you're all good. So in the end, I guess Broom wasn't unforgiven uh, in, in that uh, run-in with Morgan Freeman. I thought that whole thing was really funny. No, it was, it, it was funny. Uh... You know, I almost got to meet him down there a few years ago. I, I went and, and Kermit Davis, who was the coach at the time and, and who I've known for years, he said, do you want to meet Morgan? And I said, oh, heck yeah, man. I, he's one of my favorites. And Driving Miss Daisy is is one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, and what's the one where he was a boxing trainer with Hilary Swank? Uh, he, he won his... Uh, He's, he's been nominated for four Oscars, and that's the one where he won. Uh, I'll never watch that movie again because the ending is just so unsettling. But what a great performer. I, I didn't realize he got his start with the electric company, you know, like like children's programming. Uh -huh. I didn't realize he's 86 years old, too. Uh, but he's, he's got a blues bar there in, in Oxford, and and uh, he loves the Rebels and, and – uh, and Kermit said, Chris, you want to go meet Morgan? And I said, oh, heck yeah. And we went down there to where he was, and he had already vacated. So I was really bummed. I wanted to meet him. But uh, Janai, it was funny. He's, he said uh, he'd literally probably been watching a Morgan Freeman movie on the plane ride <laughs> over. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you had met him, you know, you could have gone to like Sewataneo with Morgan and, and Tim Robbins and hung out there and worked out on the boat or something like that. Uh, exactly. I seem to remember seeing Morgan Freeman. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was this past time I went to Ole Miss, but maybe a couple of years ago when we played there. But it, uh, it 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 is wild sometimes to go different places and see really famous people sitting on the front row watching the games. I remember one time I did a game at Cincinnati, and I looked across the way, and Oscar Robertson was sitting on the front row. I was like, man, that's pretty cool right there. I, you know, I've I've done that too. Uh, presidents. Uh... Uh, at the final four, uh, I remember George H.W. Bush sat literally right behind me and waved and smiled and seemed like a really nice chap. Uh, but the coolest thing were giants walked among us. Uh, I was walking down this hall and here come right walking straight toward me, Kareem and Walton. And wow. I'm like, oh, my God, like. These guys are what got me into college basketball. And uh, it was just crazy to see him. I, I, I couldn't muster a word. I, I was just kind of speechless. But I, I should have asked Bill about enjoying a copy of Blue Ribbon in his, te in his backyard teepee. Uh, I think he, we might have had a good conversation over that. And I could have talked to, to Kareem about his jazz record collection. So. But, you know, you never think of those things. No, you just see those dudes and think, man, that's really cool. I remember seeing at the OVC tournament when John Morant was playing for 
uh, Murray State. I mean, it was a star-studded affair because you had tons of NBA scouts. And oh, you, yeah. You had Magic Johnson and Danny Ainge there, um, you know, talking about NBA executives and so forth. I remember I turned around and sitting in the front row behind me was Larry Fitzgerald, who is the outstanding receiver in the NFL. He played for the Cardinals at the time. And uh, I was like, man, I would I don't know that I had Larry Fitzgerald on my OVC championship bingo card, but that's neat to see him <laughs> in the house, you know? <laughs> well, that, that happened to me. I was covering an NCAA at, in Winston-Salem, and I looked right behind me, and it's Magic Johnson. And I just, all I could say was, Magic. And he was just, I mean, he's just like you would think he is. Yeah. We just started talking, you know? I, I mean, just like I was like his long lost buddy, but it was pretty cool to see him. I, I mean, again, uh, that game against Larry Bird in 79, those are touchstone moments for my love of college basketball. Yeah, my friend Tim Thompson was at that game, uh, who I do Vanderbilt games with. He, he has some cool stories about being in Salt Lake City when he was he was young. He's just out of college and you know, trying to figure out what he wanted to do for a career. And I think somebody told him, it's like, hey, you know, if you want to be in coaching, you need to go to the Final Four. And he went to the Final Four in 79 in Salt Lake City and, and saw all of that, saw that game, the championship game and all of it. with the, Oh, that's with great. Got, by the way, uh, I'm going to get to see you guys on the 16th. I'm coming to the Tennessee game. Well, all right. I'm going to drop over and, and say hi to both of you. All right. Well, we'll be there so right next to the bench, and uh, that'll be cool to, to see you in person. I know we, we do a lot of our shows on Zoom, and uh, then we meet up, and uh, we're going to have a fun trip of our own. We'll be telling our listeners about coming up uh, involving Chris's induction into the U.S. Basketball Writers Hall of Fame, and that will be in yeah, early you're April. You're my Sherpa. Yeah, for, it's going to be fun. going to be fun. For, for this uh, this magical plane ride. Yeah, for cross-country <laughs> adventure. That'll do yes. it for this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us every week. We'll talk to you next time. He's Chris. I'm Kevin. We'll talk to you soon.